0: Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. Who's got the Bibles today? James chapter 5. Open it up there. James chapter 5. The brother of Jesus. James. Literally, yes, yes. James is the brother of Jesus, literally. Did you know that? We talked about it in week one. But we talked a little bit about who James was. James was Jesus' brother, who we learned from the Gospels, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after some time. And here he is now writing a letter to us, uh, to Jewish believers who were scattered abroad, he says at the very beginning, who were like sent out, When the Romans came in and started persecuting people and kicking them out, all these Jews who believed in Jesus got spread apart. It's called the diaspora is the Greek word for it. So they were spread out everywhere. So James, Jesus' good old brother, sits down and writes a letter to them about how they should live life. We have been taking it a week at a time, a chapter per week, and digging in. And I don't know what your Bible looks like, but my Bible literally is scribbled up, Highlighted, there is notes everywhere. Some notes, I was looking at one today and I couldn't remember what that note even meant. And I just stared at it because there's so little space I have to write in shorthand. And I, I like wrote this note, I'm like, what does this mean? And it took me about two minutes, and then I figured out what it was. So it's exciting times to be alive. James chapter five. I thought so as well. I love it when you're here. James chapter 5, starting at verse 1. The heading in my Bible, I don't know what it says in yours, it says, warning to the rich. Man, tell you what, every week we say this, but James pulls no punches. Man, he is just slapping everybody around. Warning to the rich. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because all of, of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags, Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. Good Lord. This this treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, look at your neighbor and say, listen. Uh, Hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated of their pay. The wages you held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. Woo! Now listen, if you back up, remember we talked about this one week, how when the Bible was written, there is no, uh, there's no nice little headers, there's no chapters James didn't sit down and write, okay, chapter one, I'm going to talk about this, and chapter two, this is chapter two, now I'm changing thoughts. He didn't put in commas and periods and exclamation points and quotation marks and colons and semicolons and all those things. (laughs) Jen says we got it, so okay, great. So that's not how James wrote the Bible. And if you go back up to the very end of chapter four, he ends off saying, hey, in verse 13, he says, look... Here, you who say, "Today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town. We'll stay there a while. We'll do business there and make a profit," and then in verse in chapter five, he begins talking about the rich people. Now, remember, he is writing to Jewish believers who were scattered abroad, people who were Jews who came into the faith of Jesus Christ and then were sent all over the place. And now these people somehow along the way got rich. And the way they got rich was off the back and sweat of others that they cheated and stole from. So he is writing specifically to them. He's not talking to every rich person. He's not saying, hey, you can't have money. Because how does that work with the rest of the Bible? Because we talk about how God is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And we talk about how God delights in the prosperity of his people. So he's not preaching against riches. He's not preaching saying, hey, if you've saved up for yourself and you've got money for retirement and you have bought a house and you have nice clothes, you're in big trouble. That's not what he's saying here. He's talking to people who cheated and lied to get what they had. Verse 5 says, you've spent your years on earth in luxury satisfying your every desire. Now, I do want to pause here for a second, because this verse kind of stings everybody a little bit. Mm, Just a little bit. Because think about society today. You've spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. Now, it's not bad to satisfy your desires, as long as they're good, godly desires. Right? But What does the world teach us to do? What does the world say about living life? Do what you want. If you want it, go get it. Go enjoy it. Go partake of it. Go and live life to the fullest. Go experience life. Go see what life has to offer. Indulge yourself. Sometimes people go a little too far on that, don't they? He says, you spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. Can I just say, side note here, Life is not about you satisfying your every desire. Sorry. (laughs) So sorry. I'm not really. That was not true. I'm not sorry because it's the word of God. God wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy the good things he has in life for you. But you were not created. You were not put here just to satisfy your every desire. Yep, yep. Jeremiah says that you were created for a purpose, basically. Now, whose purpose was that? Was it your, Did you have yourself created to satisfy your own purpose of satisfying your earthly desires? No. So sorry again. You were created for his purposes. He has plans and purposes for you, Alita. Things that he thought about you. Way, 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 way far before time was even created. He wrote, the Bible says, the days of your life in the palm of his hand. He was thinking about you. Amen. Right. So sometimes we get off track and say, i got to take care of myself. Ooh, I'm going over. This is pretty. This is shiny. This is nice. I can, I can see myself doing this. I can see myself driving that car. I can see myself living in that house. I can see myself eating that food, being with that person, going to that destination. Satisfying my every desire. Oh, yeah, life is good. The desires that you are meant to satisfy are the desires and the plans and the purposes that he has for you. That's just a side note. Sorry. Let's get back on track. You're talking about the rich people who cheated. He says, you have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Man, oh, man. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Let's just take a, let's take a pause. Pause James for a second. Flip in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I love hearing the turning of pages. It's a great sound. It doesn't sound as good on a phone. You can't hear it when you just type it into your phone. You can make the sound, yeah. Matthew chapter 6. 19. Jesus is speaking. And this is what Jesus says. Pretty familiar passage of scripture. We all know it. Jesus said, hey, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths are going to eat them, where rust is going to destroy it, and where thieves are going to break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths, guess what guys, no moths in heaven. Guess what else? No rust in heaven. Oh man, that's exciting news can't destroy and thieves are not going to break in and steal your treasure in heaven he says whatever your wherever your treasure is there the desires of your heart will also be James is reminding these Jewish believers basically of what Jesus said Don't cheat people don't steal don't get rich off their work and then lie about it The real point to be here isn't about getting rich anyways The real point to being here is to fulfill the plans and purposes that God has created you to do. The riches and the finances and all that stuff that goes along with it, that is to help you accomplish what God has called you to do. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah. All right, back to James. So here in verse 7 he says, Dear brothers and sisters, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient. You should underline that, circle it, highlight it, and put an exclamation point on both sides of the word. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently, again, underline, highlight, circle, exclamation point on the front and the back. Patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. What do you think you should do with that word, patient? Underline, circle, highlight, exclamation point on both front and back. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, if you were just reading this passage of Scripture, and you're just like flying through it, skimming, you could be like, why Why is James talking about rich people who've cheated and God has heard, and now suddenly he's talking about farmers being patient and... and, um, God is near. Like, Why? Why? I don't, James. James, the brother of Jesus with ADD. That's not the case. His point is, he's talking to these people. He's saying, you cheated these people. Now he's talking to the people who were cheated and who need vindication and who need to see God move on their behalf. And what does he say to them? Be patient. How many times did he say it in that passage of scripture? If somebody says something to you three times, what do you think they're trying to convey? Yeah, they're trying to say, hey, if you hear anything I'm saying, listen, this is what I'm saying. Be patient. Who likes being patient? Can I tell you a McDonald's story? Yes, please. Years ago, years ago, on Wednesday nights, we would drive home, me and my wife, and Josiah, and Sydney, our kids, and we had our nephew Chase in the car with us. And every Friday night after church, we would go and get a Coke from McDonald's and French fries just as a snack on the way home. One night, we're, in down, we're driving. We used to live downtown Chilliwack. We pull in the drive through of downtown Chilliwack McDonald's. One-star review. Don't go there, by the way. <clears throat> we pull up. It's got to be like 9.30 at night. We're sitting there waiting, <clears throat> put our order in. Okay, great. you got three Cokes and three Fives Come to the window. I don't know what happened. I don't know whatever happens at McDonald's drive-thru. Something. It's like a time vortex just stops life there. Like, time slows down the drive-thru lane at McDonald's. So we pull up. There's one car ahead of us. We pull up and just sit there. <laughs> and sit there. And sit there. We sit there so long that people start shutting their cars off. In the drive-thru lane. We can see in the windows people running around, little teenagers who work at McDonald's. Do we have any teenagers, young people who work at McDonald's here? Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> we see these teenagers working at McDonald's, flirting with each other, running around. <laughs> We're all sitting in the cars wondering, what is happening? Give me my pop and let me go home. The windows are all down. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, we hear this guy behind us yelling, We come here because it's fast, not because it's good. <laughs> and it's true. You, you put up with McDonald's because we don't want to be patient. We want to be fast. We got somewhere to go, so give me some gross food that will fill me up for a while. James is saying, be patient. God is moving for you. God is working on your behalf. And I'm here to tell you today, Pastor Blake's prayer of enthusiasm is catching up, so here we go. I'm here to tell you today, if you're going through some things in life, and it doesn't look all sunshine and roses and rainbows and leprechauns, maybe you got to wait where you're at, because God is moving. We come here because it's fast, not because it's good. That has become our family's McDonald's motto. He says, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to arrive. Can I just tell you today, maybe you're not eagerly looking for God to move on your behalf like you should be. Maybe we're not patiently waiting like we should be. Maybe you need to sit down and eagerly wait like this. What are you doing, Jake? I'm eagerly waiting. (laughs) It's time for dinner. I don't care. I'm just waiting. Just waiting for God. And I'm going to sit here staring, watching down the road, waiting, so when i got to get up and run, I can. I'm being patient, taking a break. This stuff around me, it matters a little bit, but not as much as waiting for God. Not as much as waiting to see God move in my life, in my circumstances, where I'm at, in my relationships, in my finances, in my body, in my mind, in my emotions. I am eagerly expecting God to move on my behalf. Take courage. Some of us today need to take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Take courage because the coming of the Lord is near. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what the circumstances you're facing are. But I want to tell you today, the coming of the Lord is near in your life today. All you got to do is be patient and eagerly wait and watch. You know what? I keep thinking about those runners, man. You ever seen a runner run a race? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not going (laughs) to. those runners get ready to run a race, what do they do? They all walk up, they're all shaking their legs. You know, they got to shake. I don't, I don't know what this even does. They're shaking something. Oh, okay, good. Here we go. It's time to race. It's time to race. And they walk up to that starting block. And what do they do? They find their place. You know, they do this. Right? And they put their, they put their feet on the block and they do this and they go, They look at people beside them, size them up, and they stand. And then what are they doing? They're just looking down the lane. They stop looking at each other. They stop looking around. They're not fidgeting with their legs anymore, but they are waiting. Because as soon as that gun goes off, what are they going to do? With everything they got, they are pushing off, and they take and they run. And they are gone, Right? Yes, in these shoes. I'm here to tell you today, you need to eagerly wait for God. Get down on the starting block and get ready for Him to move in your life. Because for some of you, when He moves, you're going to have to take off like a runner. Be ready, be patient. They got to wait, and that's the worst time. Has anybody, like, do you ever remember running races for school? Like for those, what are those days called? Sports days, track days, track and field. Back when I went to school, they were called sports days. No, I did not go to track meets. I went to sports day at school. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. And I remember the worst parts. The part where I felt the most anxiety and the most stress was your, when you're down there on those blocks waiting. When they make you all line up with each other and get ready to go. And you're waiting for somebody to shoot that gun. Or you're waiting for somebody to say, go! Whatever it is you're waiting. But for me, that was always the most stressful part. Because you don't, you're just waiting. You're waiting. You're waiting. Almost like playing musical Chairs. Right, you walk around the chairs, just waiting for somebody to stop the music. Then you jump on that chair as quick as you can. But you're like, you walk like this. When you come, when you come to the chair, everybody does it, every because we all still play musical chairs. So you know what I'm talking about. We all walk around the chairs. Everything's great. And as soon as we pass the chair, we run, and then we get close. So we start, so we slow down. We go as slow as we can. Be patient. Be patient. God is going to move in your life. Verse 9 says, Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble about your circumstances. Don't grumble about what you feel has been done to you. This is what he's talking about. He's still talking about these people that were are cheated and robbed. He's saying, don't worry about it. Don't get your back up. Don't fight your own battles. I've got you. The judge is standing at the door. Guess who the judge is? Well, guess who it's not? It's not me. It's not you. There's one judge, and that's God. And he is right there. All right, let's keep going. For examples in patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering, don't we? And we do. We look in the Bible and we, we read about these people who suffered and we give them great honor. But when it comes to us in our life, what do we do? We want to have a McDonald's God. We want stuff right now. We want it fast. We want to move through. We're in a hurry, God. Can't you see how busy my life is? Can't you see what I need? I can't wait for this. I need it right now. But when we look in the Bible, we say, oh, look at Job. He starts talking about Job in a second. You look at Job. Oh, Job endured the suffering. What a great man Job was. Yes, he was. But guess what? There's things in your life that you've got to go through just like Job. He says, for instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. I don't know what you necessarily think about God, but if I could remind you of anything today, it is that the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. What does full mean? It means full that's what full means. Full means there ain't no room for anything else in there because guess what? It's full. It's full. And you know what God's full of? Tenderness and, mercy. tenderness and mercy. And what does he want to do with that tenderness and mercy? He wants to pour it out on you. He is full of it. Tenderness and mercy. So think of your situation. Think of your life. Think of what you're going through. Think of what you're dealing with. And then think about this thought. Huh. God, who is my judge, and I just read in a few previous verses that he's standing at the door and he's ready to move on my behalf and I just need to be patient for him and he's full of tenderness and mercy. That's the God that we serve. He's not up in heaven with a big yardstick or ruler stick ready to give you a spanking. He's not checking off all these things. Oh, look what Sloan did yesterday. Look at this list I have. Page 74, <laughs> page 397. <laughs> He's full of tenderness and mercy and wanting to pour it out on each and every one of his children. Some good stuff. Verse 12 says, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Hey, guys, just a simple yes or no, so that you won't sin and be condemned. Well, this is an interesting verse, isn't it? Just a simple yes or no. Don't swear by anything else. Don't take an oath. And here's the thing. For most of us, uh, taking oaths has become something that is so commonplace. What he's talking about was back when he wrote this, people would take an oath and swear by a god or swear by his footstool or swear by other gods because their word wasn't enough for what they were trying to say. Yes, me and Jen were having a conversation yesterday about something, and she kept asking me the same question over and over and over again. And, and I just said, well, I can't say, because I had just finished reading James, I can't say, I swear to God. Because how many times do you say, I swear to God? I swear to God, this is the truth. I swear to God. Give me a Bible, I'll swear on it. <laughs> I was like, I can't say anything, so I'm just going to say, yes, this is the truth. So what they would do is, because their word wasn't enough, they would take an oath, a sacred oath, on somebody else's name, which was God. And he's like, don't bring God into this. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Your word should be good enough in your life and in your given situations. Because when you take an oath and say, I swear to God, you are bringing God into that covenant that you just made by your swearing. And we just take swearing oaths so casually. It's just an expression now. It's just just a way we talk. But he's saying, don't bring God into it. That way you won't sin. Okay, verse 13. It says, are are any of you suffering hardships? Is anybody here suffering hardships of some kind? You got hard things going on in your life. You got issues you're facing. You got troubles you're dealing with. There's things that you just don't like that just aren't going the way that you feel like they should be. Anybody? I mean, all of my... It's all up. Got everything. Here's what you should do. You should pray. Weird, right? It's weird that James would throw that in there. Hmm. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Huh. That's some weird stuff having a hard time, I should pray. Things are going good, I should sing praises. Don't answer this question out loud. But when's the last time you did either one of those things? I hope it should be all the time. And here's what most of us do, truthfully. We are always so good at praying when we hit hardship in our life, aren't we? But when things are just awesome, how often do we be like, oh, God, thank God, you're so amazing. God, you worked in my life. God, I saw you move. I'm so, God, I just love you. I just love you. I'm so thankful for what you've done in my life. God, I just, you know what? You are moving. You are speaking. You did this for me, and I just want to thank you. I just, I just want to say thanks, God. I just want to tell you I love you. I love you, Jesus. Thanks for working in my life. Thanks for fixing that. I couldn't fix it. I didn't know how to fix it. But somehow you came in here and just liquid split, made the whole thing awesome. And I just want to say thanks. When was the last time we did that? Right now. Right now. Come on. You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer of faith or such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. What's he talking about here? That word sick actually means like feeble or diseased. Not like, he's not talking necessarily like, hey, do you have a headache? Do you have a cold? You should call the elders of the church. What he's saying here is, is there something in your life that you can't get freedom from? Is there something in your life that is dogging you, that it's attached itself to you, that is hanging on and you just can't beat? Well, if that happens in your life, here's what you need to do. You need to call the elders of the church who will come and visit you and bring oil. What's the deal with oil? Doesn't just go in your car. Oil is symbolic of a person being consecrated and set apart to God. And it's symbolic of the spirit of God. And so when they come, and people come and say, hey, I can't get free of this in my life. I am stuck. I can't get healed. I can't get made whole. I'm dealing with this thing over and over and over again. And I want it broken off in my life. Then when the elders show up at your house, they bring the oil, like the Bible says, and they anoint you with oil, and they are setting you apart. Saying, Satan, get your hands off. This person belongs to Jesus Christ. And the oil symbolizes God's spirit resting upon you and in you. He says in verse 15, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. You know what that tells us? tells us that there are sins that you can commit in life and continue to commit that do and can lead to sickness in your life, that do and cause things to attach themselves to you. And when those things attach themselves to you, you've got to bring in help to get this thing off me. Shake it off! You can see through the Gospels, as Jesus went around, he was asked, Jesus, Jesus, Who sinned that this person was like this? Him or his parents? You can see in 1 Corinthians 11, when it's talking about taking communion, the Lord's Supper, and he says, make sure you examine yourself. Look at your life. Look at your actions. Look what's going on inside of you. Because you don't, and there's sin continuing in your life, he says, some of you are sick and sleeping, a.k.a. dead. When these things attach themselves to you, you need to call for the elders of the church to come and anoint you with oil and pray and believe God with you. He says the prayer offered in faith will heal you. He says the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There are times in your life there are things that you are allowing in your life, there are things that you are letting in your life that are stopping the health and wholeness that God desires for you to walk in. And it comes, the freedom comes from you declaring those things and going to somebody and saying, hey, I got this in my life and I want to get it out. I don't want to deal with this no more. Can you help me? Can you pray? Can you join your faith to mine? That's why one of the reasons we have people standing over here every Sunday so that if you need prayer, you can come up here and they will pray with you. I want to make it a little note on this verse. Be wise about who you confess your sins to. Be wise. He's not saying you need to run around telling everybody you can little thing you've done. You need to go to people who will hold you accountable and who will pray and believe God with you. You don't want to go telling everybody because you tell everybody, people are going to start judging you. And we don't want that. We don't need that. What we need is people to lock arms and stand together and say, I've got your back. I've got your back, and here's what I'm going to do. I've got your back so much that I'm going to link arms. When I go home today, I'm going to think about you, and I'm going to pray for you. And when I get up tomorrow, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to thank God for you, and I'm going to pray and believe God to see freedom and health and restoration in your life and restoration in your marriage and healing in your body. That's what I'm going to do. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. What is righteous? Somebody who is in right relationship with God. And what does earnest mean? Hard, energetic, fervent, not lackadaisical prayer. Oh my God, whatever you wanna do, just work. Out. The New King James says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Then he goes on, he starts talking about Elijah and he says this to you and I want you to remember this. He says Elijah was a man just like you and when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, no rain fell for three and a half years and when he prayed again, then the rains fell down. But the great phrase is Elijah was a man just like you. Natalie, like Cam, like Jess, like Brendan, like Justin. Elijah was a human being. He had the same things in his life that he had to deal with. He had the same kind of emotions he had to walk through. He had the same feelings, the same thoughts, the same sicknesses that he had to deal with. He was a person just like you. But he had effectual, fervent prayer. And he knew that God would move on his behalf. And here's the thing. Here's the point that James is making. If Elijah could do it, you could do it. And didn't Jesus say in John, guess what? The same works that I did, and greater you're going to do. To work in you and he wants to work through you. Finishes off here. He's been talking about physical sickness. Verse 19 looks like spiritual sickness. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, somebody among you, talking about a believer, somebody among you, somebody from your group, somebody from your family, somebody from your community, somebody among you, wanders away from the truth and is brought back. You can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. off talking about these rich people who have cheated and stole to gain riches and how those riches are going to testify against them. He moves into talking about being patient because God is going to restore those things. God is going to work on your behalf. Just be patient. Just wait. He stands at the door. He's ready to move. Just wait. Then he walks, walks into talking about prayer and the importance of prayer. And he finishes here talking about believers who were lost, who were once among you, but something happened. They started believing funky stuff. Their eyes got covered up. They started living in sin and error, and they walk away. And he says, hey, if you bring those ones back, you will save them from death, and their sins will be forgiven. You have an obligation to your family and your community. You're in this together with the person sitting beside you, with the person behind you. You are part of the body of Christ. There's no separation. There's no floating fingers that are detached from the hand. We're all together. You've got an obligation and a responsibility to look out for people. About this stuff. It's weird. What's happening? hoping to smack them around and bring them back into line. And that's what the book of James is. Where people have gone astray, they've spread out, they've started thinking weird things, doing weird things, acting weird. And James comes along and says, hey, let me talk to you about some of this stuff. Let me help bring you back. And I think that's why he ends the book of James on this two verses. I think that's why he ends it there. Because the whole book has kind of been about, hey, let's act right. Let's think right. Let's live right. This is what you should do. This is how you should act. And then he stops and says, if you bring any of these people back, you save them from death. Thanks so much for joining us today.